Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Hello, everybody. My name is Steve McLaughlin, a.k.a. Door to Door Geek. I'm the host of Lennox Basics. First and foremost, we're a podcast that just tries to have fun. But it's basically a bunch of guys getting together, talking about Linux, learning about Linux, and sharing things they know. Every Friday night, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we host a show live on Ustream. If you want to join in the conversation, you have to download TeamSpeak 3. Every week I have a normal crew with me. Say hi, guys. Hi, I'm John. Hello, I'm Josh Williams, Nuclear Tech. And I'm Russ Flinter, the Techie Geek. So please, either stop by the show live or come to the website. That's L-I-N-U-X-B-A-S-I-X dot com. The show can be listened to live. Just follow us on your favorite social website, and we will announce when we're going live. Thanks for listening. God bless. Richard, KB5JBV, and uh, I am one of the hosts, just one of the hosts of this uh, Feast for the Ears. Let me introduce to you my co-host, Russ, up in uh, up in Arkansas, K5TUX. Say hello to everybody, Russ. Good evening, my parites. This is Russ. I'm up here in North Central Arkansas, between the peaks and the pine forests. And going to say something about his nobbing. No, I wasn't... <laughs> It does take a little effort to put in those beeps, so I'm going to try and keep it a little clean, you know. But go ahead. Nobbin. Nobbin, nobbin, nobbin. Oh, he won't, he won't beep the nobbin, but he'll beep badger. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. You can come on my other podcast when I start doing it, and then there will, it won't be beeped. Ooh. Maybe he'll have me on as a guest. Anyway, um... Uh, we're back. It's been a couple of weeks. We've been uh, doing all kinds of wonderful, wonderful things, and it's time for. A, uh, first of all, I want to apologize to y'all. I haven't heard uh, haven't heard the last episode yet, but um, I was having some serious issues that week, and uh, I think we got them taken care of for the moment. Uh, I know there's at least three people at Sudden Link that are uh, hiding under their desk, shivering. With that, uh, what you been up to, Russ? Outside of the podcast, I haven't been up to a whole lot, doing a lot of working, 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 which is all I ever seem to do anymore these days. Although last weekend I had to finally get out and mow what on any other day would have been called the lawn, but on 
last Sunday, two days ago, was known as the tropical rainforest because I was mowing down things larger than my mower, and I'm on a 50-inch riding mower. <laughs> so and that was fun. Took took a lot longer than it usually does, too. But I got through it. I did. Well, there you go. I mean, uh, we've decided to just throw a fence up and start a nature preserve here. I've either got to it either rains or I've got something I've got to go do or something else. I haven't been able to mow it in about three weeks. And uh, lo and behold, it's raining again today. So uh, it may never get done. So we're going to bring in some rhinos and some uh, rhinoceroses. Didn't I say that? And some hippopotami and some giraffes. And we're going to set it up where it's supervised by some badgers. Um. Yeah, okay, it's run its course, all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, as y'all can tell, I have a little bit of a speech impediment tonight, but we're going to work our way through it. Those of you here in the chat room will get to hear all the foibles and, and, and uh, beep-ups and everything else. So let's get on with the show. There are some uh, who would like for <laughs> I said there are some who would say that you've always had a speech impediment. Oh, are you talking about them guys that want to talk about my accent? Well, that and other things. Fight me. <laughs> <laughs> which, which in the which when this comes out is going to be badger me. Badger me, badger me, badger me. I do that anyway. So let's move on to first item on the list. Let's see. We've gone all techno over here, y'all, and uh, Russ will tell you about it later, maybe. Yeah, Who's the first one, Russ. <laughs> What, that sentence is too complicated for you? Yeah, got too many words. <laughs> no, originally I think I said that we were going to do the drawing for the Southeast Linux Fest prizes for those who signed up for the drawing this time. But since I don't have a grand prize figured out yet, I'm going to push that back till next episode. So we will definitely get that done. And I'm, I've been really slow about getting out the prizes for the other folks that we already announced too, so... All of that will happen at some point. Really, really it will. But the drawing for Southeast Linux Fest will be next episode. So stay tuned for that. We haven't forgot about you guys. I have the, you know, I have all the entries right here and we'll, we'll do it up. Uh, right about the time I figure out what exactly we're giving away. So y'all hang in there. We'll, uh, we'll have a little more information on that next time. All right. So, uh, you tell me we've been having some problems with GoDaddy. What's up with that? I didn't know about the problems with GoDaddy until last night. I did the editing of the last episode, finally got it put out uh, early this morning. or No, I guess it was still late last night when I finally put it out. I got everything uploaded, and then I managed to download the episode, but I then started getting some complaints about the fact that other people... Well, I didn't get emails or anything like that, but I noticed that the file wasn't being downloaded, and the statistics showed that it wasn't being downloaded. So wondering what was up with that, I went and checked, and it turns out that something happened with GoDaddy's hosting, and our virtual domain had disappeared. So when you went to the URL that, that's in the RSS feed to download the, you know, to download the episodes, they weren't there. They were on the server, but our file download domain didn't seem to point to anything so no one could actually download the files 
They got that figured out sometime this morning because it did start to work again, but not before I looked at going with another provider, so we may be switching here pretty quick. Yeah, well, GoDaddy's kind of like the uh, supermarket of, uh, well, Walmart of uh, web hosting. So, uh, I mean, it's not the greatest thing. Uh, the other side, uh, the other podcast, we were just, uh, we were in a hurry and we needed something that was month to month, and that's the reason we're over there. Okay, well, I guess we'll just have to keep up with uh, what's going on with that, and if, we, if there's any more problems with it, we'll uh, we'll get it posted so y'all know what's going on. Are you going to do the next couple things there on the list? Those are pretty easy. I bet you could do those. Maybe. If you put your glasses on. Well, I guess they are on. They are on. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> Mine are on, too, but I can't see anything. I have glasses. Not only have glasses, but I have a food dog. Food dog. Uh, there it is right there. <laughs> I, squeezed, I squished him a little hard. That's why I went off. <laughs> All right. Oh, there's Boy, a sound bite for the show. This is going to be one of them that. <clears throat> okay, so that brings us donations. Uh, we got a couple donations this time around. We'd like to thank uh, Jonas for uh, his donation. Click. Tell me your name again, Jonas. <laughs> uh, wouldn't that be Jonas? Yeah, well, we'd like to thank him for his donation. We also got a donation from, um, this flipping back and forth not working for me, uh, from Ross. Yeah, they're both in the chat room. Thank, thank you, guys. Thank you a lot. We will sure put it to use. Next one is one that I found a few weeks back, and I was going to say something to Russ about it, and apparently he ran across it. Over at Edubuntu, there's a page that uh, lists Ubuntu ham nets. Believe it or not, there are some nets on HF, apparently run by guys that are uh, that are running Ubuntu in their radio shacks. That's VHF two. Is there a VHF one? I believe there is a VHF one as well. Yep. I did not see it. Oh no, I was reading that. I was reading the decimal point in the wrong spot. Sorry. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> VHF nets and. <laughs> <laughs> No, HF Nets. Yeah, HF Nets. And uh, they have them on Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and Friday. And you'll have to, those times appear to be in UTC, so they might not be on the day that they say they're on. But they have a voice net on uh, on you on 14287 at uh, 0200 on Tuesday. PSK31 on Wednesday at 2300-140690. I say that one five times fast. Uh, Friday at 0300 on 3.5470. Uh, that's also PSK. And then they have an echo link node. Or they have a net on an echo link node. K9IU link. That's where I got the VHF from because they're on echo link. Okay. Echo link's on the internet, man. <laughs> well, echo link's on the internet, but it's typically connected to VHF. So yeah. Yeah. But there's a few nets there y'all can go take a look at. I, I imagine they probably talk about the ham radio-related stuff, kind of like we do sometimes. Uh, we don't do it very often over here, but we try on occasion. Uh, sometimes we even talk about Linux. Yeah, buddy. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do. I'm going to use that cheat that we heard about a few weeks ago. I can't remember who told us about it, but I'm going to go to the Web SDR site. When one of these nets is on and tune it in and use their PSK decoder and just listen to it that way. 
Well, there you go. There you go. Y'all go on over to wiki at ubuntu.org, Ubuntu Hingham's Nets, and uh, Bill get the link posted in the show notes. Y'all can go over and check that out. For people who don't like to read, Ubuntu Hams Nets is in camel caps, and you all know what that means. If you don't, you shouldn't be listening to this. Does that mean so you can't see them? Camel caps? What would that have to do with invisibility? Maybe maybe my mind's not going as far as yours is. It has to do with, like, different colors on a shirt. Badger. Doesn't it? No, that's, that's camo. Camo. I'm talking about camel, like the dromedary, two-humped animal from the desert. Oh, like cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's Joe Camel. Right, right. In his, in his camo. Boy, oh, boy. Get frustrated yet? <laughs> <laughs> not, not yet. Okay. <laughs> anyway, check out wiki.edubuntu.org slash Ubuntu Hams Nets in camel case or camel caps, however you want to pronounce it. And uh, check out some of those nets. And like like I said, you can do it via websdr.org. Uh, let them do all the decoding if you don't want to even bother to turn your radio on. And if you don't want to get involved. Of course, if you want to get involved, you have to actually have a radio to key up and all that. But And if you are roaming around a secondhand store and you actually run across a camel case, please take a picture of that bad boy for us so we can see what one looks like. I bet I can find one on Flickr. Oh, there you go. Camel case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, there's apparently also been a problem and I, I didn't get a lot of these emails. Y'all, I don't know what's going on, but, uh, there also seems to have been a problem with the AUG file download. What, what's going on with that, Russ? Well, this one was actually pointed out to me by Azimuth KB7CFD, who apparently listens to the AUG files that we put out as opposed to the MP3s. He came to me today and said, hey, I can't listen to the AUG file that you put up for the last show. And I said, you can't. So I downloaded it and started to listen to it. I was listening to it with Totem, which is called Movie Player in Ubuntu, and it played just fine. Azimuth told me he was using VLC, which usually plays every file under the sun, and he couldn't play the AUG file. I tried it with my version of VLC, and I couldn't play it either. Well, I could play it, but there was no audio in it. So I went through all of the AUG files, and I discovered that all of the AUG files I put out up till episode number 35 were working just fine. Everything from 36 and after didn't work at all if you were using VLC. If you were using Totem, it worked flawlessly. So at first I thought it was VLC that was broken. Well, it turns out it isn't. It turns out that Totem is broken because it shouldn't be reading the file. It's basically ignoring an AUG file specification, which it shouldn't do, but it is. And what it turned out to be is that the image file I put in for the cover art, which is our Linux in the Hamshack logo, was actually too large. It exceeded an AUG file specification where the metadata contained in the file can't be larger than 64 kilobytes. And it was. So that was causing VLC to choke on the AUG files. So I went to Audacity and fixed the cover art in all the AUG files and re-uploaded them to the site and made sure that the image file was less than 64 kilobytes. And now everything is cool. 
So there should be no more problems with the AUG downloads. MP3s didn't seem to be affected, just the AUG files, and now it's taken care of. So there you go. Does that make any sense? For for all of you that listen to AUG files, we're back. Like I said, you can listen to AUG files up to episode 35. After that, things got a little dicey if you were using an application that actually followed the AUG Vorbis audio file specification. If you had an application like Totem that ignored it, it played them just fine. Well, so, so that means <laughs> people who were using it were using broken software. People, uh, I see. <laughs> people who are using software that worked properly was broken. And those of y'all that have a problem with the software not working right, it's not like you're paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of stuff happens. You know, uh, it was some has slipped right through cracks, and uh, they they probably uh, would have probably will fix it when somebody tells them but um apparently we have that fixed now so uh i just didn't realize there was a metadata size limit in in augvorps but yeah somebody should probably tell the people the folks who develop totem that their software has a bug in it yeah and i didn't know i noticed it but i listened to right now since i still have two uh two ipods at work i still listen to uh podcast in mp3 format when they die everything will be all grounded let me ask one question for the audience since we're talking about aug files and maybe we'll get some responses out of this for the next episode so i'm kind of curious i'll probably put it up as a po- as a poll on the website too but if linux in the ham shack were to drop mp3 as a release format entirely and just do augs or aug and some other open source format that isn't patent encumbered like MP3 is, would everyone just go bananas or would people switch over to AUG and stay as listeners of the program? I've been curious about this because I'd be interested to see how it is. I know most of our downloads right now, probably about 70% are MP3 format. And I sure don't want to lose 70% of our listeners. So if you have a comment to make about that, please send it our way and I'll put up a poll on the website. Yeah, I can I can see how it might uh, since a lot of them pick us up through iTunes and that kind of stuff. Uh, that's something we can we can uh, look into. Davey Ace went all only, and uh, unfortunately, that's one of the reasons I don't listen to Davey Ace anymore uh, because I can't play it on one of these two iPods that are still working, and I don't want to screw with putting uh, what is it, Rockbox something, Rockbox, Rockbox. Yep. Yeah. They're old, they're crotchety, and I've had enough problems with them. One of them used to have Rockbox on it, and I had to put the other, uh, put the other stuff back on. And, uh, I don't know. Y'all tell us what you think. All right. Uh, now here's something that I have absolutely no, no idea what Russ was talking about, but we're going to give it a shot. Thesis WP. No, wait a minute. Online assistance website feature. Let's do that one. Yeah. Tell us about the, I saw you testing that. Let's uh, talk about the online uh, online assistance website feature. Blah, blah. Okay. The online assistance web feature, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I set it up because it's something that I'm going to present as an option for us at work, and I wanted to use something as a test bed. Well, that test bed turned out to be the Linux in the Hamshack site. So I've set up one of those things where you can go to a website and request help from online operators you can start up a live chat with people who are behind the scenes in other words 
sites like Dell and other places that provide technical support have these little chat buttons where you can talk to a tech support person. I just went ahead and set that up, and it shows when we're online, and the operators for our website are me and Richard, and I put Bill in there too just because right now he's unemployed and has lots of time to himself. So if we're hanging out in there and you want to chat with us or just ask us a question about Linux or Ham Radio, you can click on that button on the right-hand column, and it will show if we're online or if any of us are online, and you'll get one of us to try and answer your question for you. If we're offline, it will show offline, and you can use that button to send us an email instead. So everybody who's dealt with live tech support on a website knows how that goes, and that's pretty much all there is to it. Just a little icon on the right-hand side of the website. So click it if you just want to play with it. It's not really something that we're going to use or make a formal issue out of. It's just kind of a demo thing, but there it is. Well, we can give that a shot. I'll, I'll do my best to try and keep an eye on it. All right, so uh, what the hell is Thesis WP? <laughs> Oh, the thesis WP thing. I don't know how involved we want to get in this. Have you, have you not heard about the thesis WordPress theme at all? Has anybody? In the, I'm just curious if anyone in the chat room has been following the thesis WordPress debacle that's been happening lately. Are you not familiar with it, Richard? I haven't heard anything about it, but I'll hear about it in just a second. <laughs> yeah, well... I, like I said, this is another one of those things that I just wanted to kind of bring up because it's an interesting topic for people who are into GPL licensing, patent issues, and legal concerns that surround open source software. For people who know what WordPress is, it's a content management engine, and there are themes that go along with it. So you can make your WordPress blog look apart from everybody else's WordPress blog. All content management engines use these the theme concept so that not everybody's site looks like everybody else, you know, everybody else's site, which is a good thing. The thing about the thesis theme is it's a pay theme. It's not a free theme. It's what's called a premium theme. And there are several of them out there. Yeah, there are quite a few of those. Right. So if you want to use this theme, you have to buy it from the author and install it in your WordPress block. Well, the problem with thesis as a WordPress theme, or so it is a problem according to those who develop WordPress, is that Thesis is not GPL. It's not open source. The complaint is that because WordPress is open source and because Thesis themes or any theme for WordPress is derivative software of WordPress and can't be used independent of WordPress, that the GPL states that the theme has to also be GPL. And so lately, um, actually about a year ago, this blew up, and it's blown up again recently. The developer, Chris Pearson, of the Thesis WordPress theme has released it under a proprietary license and adamantly refuses to change his thinking. Developers of WordPress, like Matt Mullenweg, think he should follow the GPL because A, it's a legal necessity, and B, because it honors the GPL and the development scheme that was used for WordPress itself. 
there's been a couple of interviews lately and a lot of stuff along those lines, and it's basically a huge debate right now. And the latest thing is Chris basically said, well, if you want to test your metal, go ahead and sue me because I'm not going to do a thing unless you do. And that's where the debate is right now. Now, Mullenweg and the WordPress developers don't want to sue. I believe they don't want to sue a member of the WordPress community. And I don't think that Chris Pearson necessarily wants to be sued. I'm sure they would both prefer to avoid a lawsuit at this point. But that's where it is. So if anyone is interested in the GPL and the way things work and, and all of that and the legalities surrounding open source, they might go ahead and do a Google search for Chris Pearson or Thesis WordPress theme or Matt Mullen, Mullenweg, sorry. And if you check out the show notes for the latest episode of the Linux Outlaws, they talked about this and they provide a link to the uh, face-to-face interview between the two where there was a lot of name-calling and teeth-gnashing and all kinds of stuff going on. So it was pretty fun to listen to. And it doesn't really matter which side of the issue you are on. It's just kind of fun to listen to. So go ahead and check that out. It's worth a look or worth a listen whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, there'll, uh, be a, there'll be a link in the show notes uh, over to a, a short article that uh, uh, kind of gives uh, gives some of the highlights of what's going on. Um, like I said, I didn't have a chance to uh, take a look at this beforehand. Uh, wasn't even aware it was going on, really. Uh, that's another reason I moved away from WordPress. I couldn't get the look I wanted without a premium uh theme and uh that's one of the reasons i moved over to drupal uh not the main reason not one of the top three but one of the reasons anyway uh bill bill get those in there if y'all want to go take a look this is an awful long url the wordpress developers have asked the software freedom law center to investigate the case and the software freedom law center is one of the premier gpl savvy uh, legal institutions, they fight for GPL issues. That's what their forte is. And their determination, from what I can tell, is that any of the PHP scripting in a theme must be GPL, but CSS code or images which are not passed through WordPress can be proprietary. And I have my own thoughts on which way this should go which should be pretty obvious without me even saying it. But go ahead and check it out. It's it's an interesting debate anyway, probably more interesting than having us even tell you about it, but just go check it out. Yeah, and um, we'll, we'll bring you more on this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig in and look at it a little bit, and uh, we'll see if it doesn't come back up. I think we pretty much beat that segment to death. So uh, let's go ahead and play some music and see who's on the phone.
let's talk a little bit about Logbook of the World. Russ has uh, clued me in that there's some debate going on at the league about uh, supporting Linux as uh, an operating system that you can run Logbook of the World on. So uh, what do we got going on with Logbook of the World? Well, hopefully I can bring you into some of this conversation, too, so I don't have to keep talking like I've been doing for the last 30 minutes. Sorry. No, that's okay. I told you. Yeah, I know. I understand. Believe me. So first I want to just talk about Logbook of the World as a program or as an application or as an entity. I didn't even look to see if the ARRL was the founder of this Logbook of the World thing. I assume they were. Is that is that your understanding that the ARRL was the creator of Logbook of the World? It was developed and hosted at the uh, league uh, website. Uh, it's been around for quite some time, and a lot of people are using it. Unfortunately, it's uh, always been a really, really big pain in the butt. And when I used it, it was uh, before I went majority uh, Linux around here. So uh, the hoops I had to jump through to even get my certificate back so that I could start posting stuff over there was just horrible, horrible thing. Of course, just about anything that they do on the web is not super great. Okay. What was the question? Yeah. <laughs> no, you answered the question whether you knew it or not. The question was, did the League develop Logbook of the World, which we're going to assume that they did. Yeah, they the, did. For the basis of this conversation. Logbook of the World is a way to take your logs, your QSL logs, in the standard ADIF format that's used by all kinds of logging software out there in the world, to digitally sign it by a certificate that, that is trusted by the league because the certificate that they match it up against is their own. And the certificate that you encrypt the data with, your ADIF data, is provided by them. So if, you know, the encryption that you send your ADIF data to the league matches their certificate, they know it's valid because they were the trust chain through the whole transaction. The point of this is that you can take all your log data, encrypt it, and send it to the league, and the league will know that the data you're sending them came from you. The point of that is... You can submit your data for award consideration, like Worked All States and DXCC and whatever other awards the league sponsors, using this format without having to send them a bunch of paper QSLs. So that's what's nice about Logbook of the World. And the fact that you can import stuff using ADIF format means however you log the data, you can upload it, encrypt it, and sign it using Logbook of the World, and the league will accept it. And the advantage is that most of the logging software out there nowadays will uh, will save your log information to ADF format. In fact, most of them do it by default. I seem to remember when Logbook of the World first started, they only accepted stuff in Cabrillo, which is a contest logging format, and... Uh, it got to the point that everybody raised enough cane about it that uh, they set it up where you could start using ADIF files. And, you know, an ADIF file, if all else fails, you can create an ADIF file using uh, OpenOffice or something, creating a, a spreadsheet 
and uh, doing it that way. But they simplified it and have streamlined it some. Like I said, it was a nightmare when I used it, but uh, that was some years ago, and I'm sure that they've uh, sure that they've come a long way since then. And like Russ said, the upside is that for a lot of the ARRL awards, there's still some that uh, they won't accept Logbook of the World. But for uh, a lot of the ARRL awards, it's uh, way easier to ship this in than it is to try and track down a uh, uh, someone to verify cards at your local big ham event like Dayton or Hamcom or something like that. Uh, I know a couple of guys that are that do that for the league, and you can only catch them out at a ham fest every once in a while. Otherwise, you have to ship all your stuff to them, wait for them to ship it back, and everything else. That manual ver- verification process. Uh, that's the upside of things. And I understand it probably working a little better now, but uh, anyway. So, uh, what's the deal with them uh, balking at Linux or uh, doing the? In a recent email I received from Dave, KG4GIY, he sent me some information about the fact that trusted QSL, which is kind of the mechanism that the league uses to sign and upload all of this log data in ADIF format that's been encrypted with a certificate you get from the league, is being dropped from consideration and support by the ARRL. He came to this information because someone emailed him about his association with Linux Journal and the fact that he has the ham radio part of Linux Journal and he's kind of the person, the go-to guy when it comes to tech support along those lines. In his research, he found out from the developer of CQR Log that the ARRL has apparently decided that they no longer want to support Linux as a platform for doing Logbook of the World. And that's a problem for the maintainer of CQR Log because CQR Log has Logbook of the World support built in. Obviously, these two concepts are at odds. The main software that you can download from the ARRL's website for doing trusted QSL or TQSL, as it's known, runs on Windows and macOS, but there is nothing for Linux. They don't provide a Linux application. Now, there is a TQSL project at SourceForge.net where you can download the trusted QSL application and the libraries that make it possible to do this kind of thing and to use Logbook of the World using Linux. So that, that exists out there. And I went and tried to figure out how hard is it to get this to work on Linux. Just getting the libraries built, for example, independent of using an application, uh, just so you can get something like CQR Log to take your data and ship it off to Logbook of the World. It turns out that I have an Ubuntu install here, uh, Ubuntu 10.04. It's actually Ubuntu Studio but it's based on Ubuntu 10.04. And I went to the SourceForge site, which is sourceforge.net stroke projects stroke trusted QSL, and I downloaded the latest version of trusted QSL libraries, and I went to try and build them. Well, here's what you have to do. You have to get a few development packages. You have to app-get install, 
libssl-dev, libxpat1-dev, zlib1g-dev, g++, and the build-essential meta package. Once you do that, you have to then go ahead into the, you know, you download the trusted QSL, and you unpack it, and in there there's a file called install, all caps, and if you more that and look at the Unix slash Linux part, it explains how you do it. And it's basically a matter of app dash getting installing the packages I just told you about, typing dot slash configure, which will then go through all of the different configuration and setup that needs to happen. Then you type make, and then you type make install. The make builds the trusted QSL library, the make install inserts it into your system so it actually works. Pretty straightforward. The only problem is the build that I downloaded stopped development in 2005. And the last version of SSL that was valid in 2005 was 0.9.7. And my system has SSL version 0.9.8. So when I did make, it bombed. There's a specific file, and I'll put these, or I'll uh, send these over to Bill so the details can be stuck in the show notes because there's, there's more to this that I'm going to try and read aloud. But basically, you have to put in an if statement that says if the version of SSL that you have on your system is 0.9.8 to not bomb, basically. So I did that, did the make, everything worked fine, did the make install, everything worked fine, and I had the trusted QSL libraries working on my system. Then I went and said, hmm, I wonder if this has already been packaged up since I'm using Ubuntu, which is based on Debian, and all of these packages that are for ham radio applications are supposed to exist on these systems. So I did an app-get trusted QS or install trusted QSL. Sure enough, they existed, and it went ahead and installed the application and the libraries for me. So I didn't have to go through all the crap I just went through. They were already prepackaged. So what does that get you? Well, when you install the Trusted QSL application and the Trusted QSL cert application, under your applications from your status bar, if you go down to accessories, you get an application called TQSL cert and Trusted QSL. TQSL cert is how you take the certificate you get from the league and install it into your system. And then the Trusted QSL application is how you take your ADIF data encrypt it using that certificate, and then send it to the league. So those applications are pre-built for Ubuntu and for Debian. They already exist. Therefore, support for TQSL and Logbook of the World already exists in Linux. So I guess the official stance of the ARRL is that they consider that unsupported, even though you can use it. And applications like CQR Log will log into your Logbook of the World account and download data from it so that whatever logs you have submitted to the ARRL will show up. And if you're chasing, you know, worked all states or DXCC or anything like that, which CQR Log actually tracks, it will use that data and keep it consistent on your system so you know when you're approaching your award goals. 
Uh, now, there's more to say on this, but I'm going to shut up for a minute and see if Richard has anything to add before I continue. Well, actually, I was just mainly wanting to ask, uh, what, the trusted uh, QSL that you were working with, what version was that? Well, let me see. I can start it right up here, and I can tell you what version it is. This is the pre-built one, the one that I just app-get installed. Right. And the version of the TQSL package is version 1.11.unofficial.787. Okay. I was just curious about that because I'm looking in the repos right now, and the uh, current version I've got there at least is uh, 1.11-8. And then there seems to be uh, the libraries are showing up as version 2-10. Hmm. Okay. The version I'm showing for the trusted QSL library is version 2.0. So I'm not sure if that's using the one that I built or using the one that was installed uh, from the package. Uh, it's using WX Widgets 2.8.10, and according to this, it says copyright 2001 to 2005, the American Radio Relay League. So I guess that shows that the ARRL is, in fact, the author of this application and that they have since changed their mind about supporting trusted QSL if, in fact, this was copyrighted up till 2005. I found a trusted QSL website, but it doesn't even seem to have any kind of documentation that's newer than 2003, so I'm not sure what's going on with that. Maybe something we need to lobby the league over. Okay, well, the process for getting a trusted QSL certificate is kind of a pain in the ass. Uh, Richard, Richard kind of alluded to this earlier. But basically what you have to do is you have to create, you have to use one of these applications like the Trusted QSL app or the Trust, or the TQSL cert app, I should say, where you input your start date for the certificate, which would be today, if you're going to do it today, your call sign, when you want the certificate to expire, which is, you know, never. Uh, let me see what else this thing wants. I've already done this, but I just want to make sure I get the information correct. Okay, basically what you want to do is you want to put in your call sign, your DXCC entity, which it has a drop-down for, at least in this application. So for me, you put in the United States. You know, If you're in Uzbekistan or whatever, you put in Uzbekistan. Uh, for QSO date, you'd want to go back as far as you actually have QSL data for i.e. the start of your logbook. So if you started doing contacts in, you know, 1975, you'd obviously want to go back that far. And then for the end date, you put in nothing because you want the certificate to be good basically forever. And you ship that off to the ARRL, they receive it, and then they send you an email that says, here's your login, here's your password, this is how you get into Logbook of the World. You log in there. And the website, by the way, for that is www.arrl.org slash logbook-of-the-world, strangely enough. Anyway, you go in there, and you log in with the username and password they give you, and then there's all sorts of documentation about how to set up your application, how to download the Windows and Mac OS versions, and how to upload your certificate, how to sign your ADIF files, all that good stuff. And then if you look in help, under uh, stroke lotw resources there's a bit in there that says, please note that 
the ARRL does not support trusted QSL for Linux. And uh, that came from the article that I was reading over at CQR Log. And by the way, if you want to read that bit of information, you go to www.cqrlog.com stroke question mark Q equals node slash 295. That tells you that CQR Log is using Drupal for anybody who knows that URL syntax. And then interestingly, um, there was this bit. Well, I, I just read you the bit from the ARRL's website in the resources area that says that they do not support trusted QSL. But if you go to this other place, p1k.arrl.org stroke L-O-T-W stroke F-A-Q hash S-W-H-W, you get this little bit of information. Anyone can submit data to Logbook of the World as long as they have received a digital certificate from the ARRL. Logbook of the World will accept signed logs in either the ADIF or Cabrillo formats. The signing process is a mathematical operation that will be more quickly accomplished on a computer with a modern, fast processor. Older computers will work, but they will be slower. At a minimum, users will need to download TQSL and TQSL CERT. Those are the applications that we've already talked about. Two programs which are freely available from the ARRL for PCs that will allow one to request certificates and sign logs. At present, one needs to use a computer with Windows or Linux to use TQSL and TQSL CERT. We expect similar Macintosh software to eventually be available. So this is kind of a right-hand, left-hand situation where this particular piece of information, also at the ARRL.org site, says that Windows and Linux are the ways to use trusted QSL. And then down below, there's downloads for Windows and for macOS and Linux is officially not supported. You know, that that's kind of the controversy as I see it right now and the controversy that uh, brought this uh, little bit of logbook of the world to our attention. Now, I went ahead and installed the packages for trusted QSL and TQSL cert, and I have my, my TQSL certificate that I got from the league because I signed up for logbook of the world. But somewhere along the line, I seem to have lost the private key that goes with my certificate, so I can't install it. So I'm going to have to go digging around to try and figure out where my private key went so I can actually install the certificate. But once I do that, I can take any of my ADIF-based logs, and I log a bunch of stuff from the 3905 Century Club logger, and I also use uh, Xlog, CQR log, and YFK log. And all of those export to ADIF, as does FLDigi and a bunch of other stuff. So as soon as I get this working, I'll be able to upload all those contacts to Logbook of the World. And I'll be able to do it via Linux. So the point of that is that even though the ARRL has officially decided that Trusted QSL and TQSL cert are unsupported on Linux, it can still be done and the method for doing it, whether by compiling on a system that doesn't already have it packaged or by doing an apt-get install on a system that does, will be included in the show notes for this episode. So what else do you have to say about that? Well, actually, it sounds like you covered most of it, and I'm sitting here thinking that, uh, you know what, we've got a pretty large listenership, and not only do we have... Uh, uh, folks that are just radio operators. We've got developers in the ham radio side. We've got folks, I'm sure, that are members of the league. 
Uh, everybody within the sound of our voice probably needs to get on board and get in touch with your section manager or uh, uh, the folks at Logbook of the World and say, hey, what's the deal? You know, do you not want us uh, members? And I, I have a problem with big organizations that three or four people run and uh, the membership are nothing but trash beneath their feet. And uh, get out there and, and hit these people up. Write yourself a letter. If somebody wants to develop a form letter and send it to us, we'll post it at the website so you guys can grab it and uh, uh, put your put your uh, John Hancock on it and send it to them. Uh, this is one of the places where we need to stand up because, you know, they they uh, have already acknowledged that there's uh, radio operators that are moving over to uh, Mac because they're tired of the crap in uh, Windows. But they don't want to acknowledge us, and there's more and more of us all the time because Linux is uh, ham radio friendly. Uh, it fits in the philosophy. Sooner or later, I'm gonna break down. We, me and Russ gonna break, make this uh, episode. We, uh, I promised the guys over at uh, Hack Republic Public Radio a long time ago about Linux and uh, the amateur radio amateur radio philosophy. So, uh, you know, y'all, uh, go check the site. Somebody wants to write a form letter up. We'll post it up so uh, everybody can get their hands on it. And y'all get a hold of these people at the ARRL and try to straighten their butts out. They're starting to get out of line again. And we need to take care of that. <laughs> What's life without a good rant? And actually tell you the truth, I quit using the thing because it was a pain in the ass, but I use a uh, log and, uh, have never had any problem with uh, taking my ADFs and shooting them up that way. And uh, I know that uh, a lot of the logging programs in, in Linux handle that kind of stuff and FLDG and everything else. So, uh, yeah, this is something we probably need to try and stay on. I've got a list of stuff we need to stay on a mile long, but we really need to keep an eye on this. And don't let it be like that shack box thing, thing people. You know, y'all just quit listening on the shack box thing. All right. So have we got anything else before we need to go to break? Since we're in the topic of beating topics to death, I think we have definitely beaten Logbook of the World to death. Uh, I would like to say that I hope people will actually use it, and I'm definitely going to try and get this thing to actually work because after I went through the trouble of putting all this information together about Logbook of the World and the issues we're having with the ARRL, I'm wondering where my private key went because I went through all the trouble of getting signed up for this thing, and I wouldn't mind actually getting all of my data into Logbook of the World, so I have some place offline where I'm actually keeping my QSL data. But, uh, you know, scatterbrained as I am, it's all gone. But I, I think one of the problems with Logbook of the World was that they didn't, you know, the development stopped on the Linux application back in 2005. I don't know how strong it is in the Mac OS and Windows versions, because uh, I haven't bothered to look at those. But just because they're not supporting it doesn't mean it doesn't work. It does work. It's actually very easy to install, particularly if you're using Debian and Ubuntu. So don't fear for Logbook of the World. Unsupported or not, we can still use it as Linux people who want to use software like Logbook of the World. And, like I said, with a minor tweak to get it to work with modern versions of the SSL libraries, 0.9.8 and up, we can maintain this for future generations. So not not that big a deal. But anyway, that's it for Logbook of the World. I think we should probably jump over to some music and then come back with feedback on the other side, if that's cool with you. 
Well, one more thing before we go. Uh, K5WMA just let me know that uh, on the front page of the ARRL website, there's a news article about Ubuntu Linux for hams. Now, it seems to me that these guys probably need to get their business together. I don't know, get on the Linux bandwagon or something. Apparently, they've identified that the uh, demographic is growing or they wouldn't have done this. You know, the league doesn't do anything that they uh, don't think can uh, bring them in, uh, bring them in uh, new members. So, well, like I said before, apparently it's the left hand patting the head and the right hand scratching the badger. And neither one knows what's going on. So that's the way it's always been with the league. Now, you know, once again, I'm not having a problem with the league. It's just that's the way it's always been with them. Are you futzing with the file over there? I see I'm numbers moving around. And you, you can format the thing. Oh, well, crap. All right, I'll worry about that later. Anyway, I'll take us to the break. On the other side of the music, we're going to have feedback. We'll talk to you all in a couple minutes. Yeah, let's play some damn music. Yeah, we're, we're getting to it. Shut up.
and we're back for feedback. Now, I don't have anything witty to insert here, but at least we're able to uh, to get on with it. So uh, you about ready to do some uh, feedback for us? I'm as ready as I'm going to get. And the first one is from Scott, N9LJX. Uh, comment at the, uh, actually at the website. It says, guys, I have been recently listening to your podcast and really enjoying them. In fact, they inspired me to try and move to move to Linux in my ham shack. I tried, re- I really tried. I had everything I needed from individual pieces, parts, pieces, parts, with the exception of one thing, a decent logging program that will accurately do award uh, keeping, has decent support, and integrates seamlessly with Logbook of the World. I also need a good contest logger, but I am sure I could find one with a little more effort. The only logger I found that comes close to what I need is CQ log. But after importing my log, just over 8,000 Qs, so not large by any, any stretch, uh, its ward tracking was way off in many areas. Now, 8KQs, of course, give me the hard one to read, isn't a bunch, but it's way more than I care to sift through to find errors. I was also having trouble with Radio Cat Control and my FT900 with CQ, CQ Log, not G-Rig. With these problems, I sent a note to both of you, both of the Yahoo groups and the website. No response. Nada. Not even a G. Haven't seen that before. Compare that to DX Lab Suite. I sure do wish DX Labs could be ported to Linux. Anytime I have had a problem, the author was right on it that day and worked directly with me to test and resolve the issue. Rock solid war tracking. Rock solid support. Rock solid everything. It is released and supported with modular units. Use what you'd like and ignore the rest. It integrates with many other pieces of software, Skimmer, DX Cluster, DX Spider, MMTTY. The author also supports the MMTTY, FLDG, HRD for rig control, etc. Many, many integrations were built by users with the support of the author in the same way that the Unix apps integrate. It is built with the mindset of use use the best tool for you. I prefer DM700 and FLDG to MMTTY, so in our bridges to integrate the logging functions with my favorite tool. Sure, I could log with FLDG and then import it into DX Keeper, but with the bridge, it is not necessary. Unfortunately, because of not being able to find something to compete on my terms with DX Labs, I am stuck with Windows in the ham shack. I am willing to make compromises, but I am not willing to throw in the towel and not get what I need. So, guys, what is your suggestion? I really like the Ubuntu install on my workstation at work. Is 100% Ubuntu, even though we are a Windows shop. I would love to not have to use Windows in the shack, 
Until I am presented with a viable alternative, I am stuck. Help me out here. 73, Scott, N9, LJX. P.S. Russ, I w- it was great to see you at Dayton. I really enjoyed our brief chat after I found you. The first thing I would say about this email is I'm curious about his mention of CQ Log because there is an application out there called CQ Log, but I'm wondering if he's talking about that or if he's talking about CQR Log, which is a totally different other thing. From what I see on CQ Log, which is at cqlog.com stroke cqlog.html, this is a Windows application that is actually pay-for software. It's uh, binary and proprietary. $35 is the price tag on it. And CQR Log is the one we just talked about in our little discussion of Logbook of the World. And that's a free and open source project. And I'm going to look up and see who the developer of that is right now. You probably heard me typing in the background. So my first question would be, are you actually talking about CQ log, Charlie Quebec log, or are you talking about CQR, Charlie Quebec Romeo log? Because it makes a big difference to the answer I might give you about this question. Now, I know CQR log does award tracking, and if, in fact, CQR log is what you're talking about and it's not handling award tracking properly, I would be the first person to go over to the CQR log website and contact, let me see who this is now. Okay, the authors of CQR log are Peter, OK2CQR, and Martin, OK1RR. And if, in fact, these two gentlemen are the people who are responsible for CQR log and you are, in fact, using this application, which has poor support for award tracking, I would be the first person to contact these guys and get them on the show and have them explain to you what the problem with award tracking is. Plus, we should probably just get them on the show so we can talk about CQR lock anyway. So uh, does that mesh with what you think there, Richard, or am I off base on that? Well, yeah, and uh, it could be one or the other. And the whole point is he is a... One of those people that grew up with Windows, he'd been doing amateur radio with Windows, and one of the things you have to take into account is that the Windows guys are getting money. A lot of the time, somehow or other, they're getting some kind of money. If it's a, if it, they've either got to have a super great love for something, or they're getting paid for it. And I'm not sure what's going on over at HRD, but I know the majority of them are, are picking off 25, 30 bucks at a time for different pieces of stuff. As far as the amount of software out there, something that's going to track all these awards, I have never found a piece of software that tracks every single award. So you have to keep looking around in logging programs for that. Now, there's going to be a a smaller number of people programming in that kind of stuff where the uh, absolute total answer is, at this time, keep using Windows and that's the only thing I can really tell you. Now, if you're not worried about roughing it just a little bit and using something that uh, you might have to run two or three different things instead of one standalone program, go ahead and switch over to Linux. I think you're going to find that your life is much easier. And as far as the support thing's concerned, a project that they, that you ask questions on and you can't get answers normally doesn't last very long. So you probably need to move on to a different uh 
uh, different piece of software in that case anyway. As far as uh, logging and rig control and that kind of stuff, I use primarily FL Digi. Uh, I was using Xlog for a while, and that's the one that uh, I had no problem getting my uh, files uploaded to a trusty or a logbook of the world with. And fortunately, I only needed to track a few awards because they were the only ones I was chasing. Of course, it's a whole different world for me because when I got into amateur radio, uh, computers were, ex- were expensive. <laughs> so uh, I'm still a paper, paper kind of guy whenever I can. Get with the people on these programs you're having a problem with. Send them some emails. Try and chat them in their, uh, in their chat rooms and uh, see if they can help you along with something you can use. If it's really that big a deal to you, there will never be uh, Ham Radio Deluxe for Linux. Simon said that himself. I'm sure sure whoever does this DX Labs probably feels the same way. So we're going to have to make do with what we got and get more uh, hams that are interested in developing on board and getting some of this stuff squared away. So uh, I'm really sorry I couldn't help you more with that than uh, than what I have. But uh, as it stands right now, if you're not willing to compromise just a little to make your, make your life easier and uh, have your machine perform better, then your best bet's to stick with Windows. And God help you. <laughs> well, that kind of speaks to his second paragraph here, where he talks about the support provided by the DX Labs guys. One of the things that I had hoped to do at some point and didn't have time to between the last episode and now was to see if DX Labs, any part of it or all of it, could be run under Wine. I'd be interested to see if DX Labs could be run that way so you can still use the functionality and be on Linux as opposed to Windows. So that's one of the things I'm going to try and get done here between now and the next episode. As it stands, if DX Labs is the application that does what you need to do, just like Richard said, go ahead and use it. We're not the kind of people who will tell you, use Linux just to use Linux. If you've got an application that does what it's supposed to, that provides good support, that is everything you paid for, assuming you paid for it, then go ahead and use it. In a lot of cases, there are some applications that I have to use that are Windows-related. I don't necessarily like them, but in some cases I do. I also use macOS apps. If I have to fire up a Windows virtual machine to run an application, I'll do it. I'm not the kind of person who will say, I'm never going to run Windows because Windows is total crap, which it kind of is, but, you know, every once in a while you come across one of those applications that only runs on Windows, and you just have to make do. Now, I can live without Ham Radio Deluxe. I've lived with it my entire life, and I will continue to live without it. Now, as far as the applications you've mentioned here, like Skimmer, DX Cluster, DX Spider, MMTTY, FL Digi, and so on, well, of course, you know about FL Digi, so you can use that. It has built-in read control. That should satisfy that requirement. As far as MMTTY, I'm not even sure what that does. Now, DX cluster, M- go ahead. Now look, MMTTY, it really in some of the older modes. Okay, well, FLDigi should handle most of those. 
uh, DX Cluster and DX Spider, which I assume are uh, DX Cluster clients. I don't see why XDX can't handle that part of your deal. Uh, and as far as Skimmer, do we know what Skimmer is? Uh, no, but keep talking. Okay, well, I don't know what Skimmer is, but I'm sure there's an equivalent for it. Well, I, I guess I shouldn't be sure about it because you never know. There may not be one. But whatever Skimmer is, we can probably find you in a, you know, a Linux application that will do something like it. And while all of those things are not integrated into one product or one modular application like DX Labs, we should be able to handle it for you. Now, Bill says in the chat room that Skimmer is a CW decoder, and FL Digi will do that. FL Digi will decode CW. Not only will it decode CW, it will encode CW. And uh, he also mentioned, he being Bill, also mentions that it will decode multiple CW conversations just like a PSK browser. I don't know if FLDigi can do that. I know FLDigi can decode multiple PSK conversations at any given time and other similar digital modes. Whether it can decode multiple, you know, nearby or adjacent CW conversations, I'm not aware that it can do that, but it may or may not be able to. That's that's a question we can address, you know, later on. Uh, I just don't have an answer to that. Uh, one solution you might look into also, and I really hate it when we give this solution, but here it is. Uh, you can run virtual, virtual box on any Linux system and run a copy of Windows XP in it and be able to run something like DX Labs. And the only reason I'm bringing that up is it, I'm sitting here looking at their wiki right now, and that's what it says to do as far as Linux. Now, the thing about it is, if we would quit uh, falling back to what these programmers want to do and uh, do what we want to do, if they want us to use their stuff, they're going to have to start programming to us. However, there's a lot of good uh, pieces of software out there you can use. Like I said, if you want one standalone program, then you're probably best off just staying with the Windows machine at this time uh, and all the inherent problems that go along with it. I, I was listening to a podcast the other night where they were talking about the fact that Windows XP support has been extended until 2015. And this is something that over the course of the past few years, they have said, Microsoft has said that Windows support will be discontinued. Microsoft XP support will be discontinued, you know, over and over and over again. As time goes on, they're discovering that businesses are not yet ready to abandon XP. They know it works, and even though the operating system itself is now 10-plus years old, large organizations and educational institutions are not willing to get up. So rather than back down, Microsoft is saying, okay, we'll continue to support it. I think that's a bad thing. Microsoft should probably force this issue. Windows 7 is not bad. In the Windows realm, Windows 7 is actually pretty decent. I like it, you know, for Windows. Microsoft is not helping themselves out by continuing to support XP. They're really not. What they should probably do is make Windows 7 more attractive price-wise and get these large organizations, give them some price incentives and get these large organizations and large educational institutions 
to make the switch. I mean, it's a large investment in time and money in their part, and I understand the reluctance, but they've got to do it at some point. Windows XP cannot continue to be the de facto Microsoft platform forever and ever and ever. A lot of Linux distributions come out on a monthly, bi-monthly, or bi- or semi-annual basis. That kind of innovation is what makes Linux a powerful platform. The Windows that everybody loves came out in 2000, almost in the last century. You know, it's about time to give it up. Microsoft needs to make some strides on that point, and I guess we don't really need to talk about that particular evil empire anymore. But the point is, if you're using a Windows product and you have something you like, like DX Labs or HRD, we're not telling you not to use it. We're, we're giving you the information that there are alternatives out there, things that you can explore, applications you can use, operating systems that are open source, free as in cost, free as in freedom, and they're things that you should explore. But if in doing so you discover that they don't do what you want, that you can't get used to them, that the time investment is just too high, then stick with what you've got. If it works, it works. We wouldn't try to evangelize to the point that we start making enemies by telling you to use Linux just because you should use Linux. We think you should, but, you know, there's other stuff out there. Windows has its place. And that's all I'm going to say about that. And uh, I, and I see Richard edging up to the microphone because he's going to say something. No, I was just going to say, you know, 15 years, that's unheard of supporting an operating system. 15 years. And everybody's so hooked on it now, and nobody remembers how big a piece of crap Windows XP was when it first came out. Uh, the whole point is, if you uh, can't rough it a little bit, if you can't bring yourself to rough it just a little bit, then you're probably better off staying with Windows. I know a lot of people that run Windows in their shack. Uh, my father's one of those, and that's how I get a lot of extra extra computers because I can always be guaranteed about every six months he, he's going to end up with a virus or something on his machine. So let's move on to the next one. Our next one is from Jason, KB9LAF. And uh, Jason writes, great show. I found your show from the Linux Link Tech Show. I am also uh, a ham, KB9LAF. I can't remember the last time I transmitted. I would like uh, like a question. I have an ICOM ICPRC, no, ICPCR1000 receiver. Uh, do you know of any Linux software that will run, run it without problems? All the stuff I have found all said there is a problem. I wanted to provide you with the with a link to another way to boot Linux from a USB key. I have tried this, and it works very well, as long as you remember what you, what is installed. And then there's a URL. It's fairly long. It'll be in the show notes, y'all. Pendrive.com. Uh, pendrive I think we've talked about them before. And uh, this points to a, a subpage on this site. Great show. Keep up the good work. Look, looking forward to the next contact. All righty. And uh, thank you, Jason. As far as uh, the IC PCR 1000 receiver, uh, 
I really don't know. I've never had my hands on one. Uh, as far as the guys in the chat room, I'm not real sure if they've had an opportunity to mess with it or not. I'm sure it's a, a general coverage receiver, and uh, that's something we may have to look into. Uh, do you have any ideas, Russ? Let me say this as far as the ICPCR 1000 is concerned. There is a website on the Ubuntu forums that may point you in the right directions for using the ICPCR 1000 under Linux. And the URL for that is ubuntuforums.org stroke showthread.php question mark T equals 426691. And, of course, that will be in the show notes. So if you are interested in using the ICPCR 1000 general coverage receiver under Linux, go ahead and check that out. There's some good information there. There are some Java-based applications uh, that are web-enabled that allow you to control that receiver. And there is some good information contained there about using that particular piece of hardware. So definitely check that out. And as far as installing stuff using... um, PenDrive Linux, we had addressed that, or I had addressed that, for my Linux Mint uh, Asus Triple E PC install back in episode 19 of our podcast. So if you want to go back to Linux in the Ham Shack episode number 19, you can check out all we talked about, PenDrive Linux, and installing distributions that way or running distributions that way, particularly on systems that are not equipped with a CD or DVD-ROM drive. You know, absent that piece of hardware, your USB ports are pretty much the only way you can install or run something, unless you have TFTP and Pixie set up on a network kind of install basis. PendriveLinux.com is a site we've talked about. It's an install method we've discussed. Thank you very much for bringing it up yet again for people who are interested in using it. One of the nice things about PenDrive Linux is you can install almost any distribution using it because it will it will create a USB thumb drive based on almost any distribution you pick. In the case of the installation methods I discussed in the last episode or the episode before that, We were talking basically about Ubuntu installs because it's kind of built into the operating system itself. Pendrive Linux gives you some more flexibility. So thanks again, Jason, KB9LAF, for bringing that up. Uh, It's good to hear from you. We're glad to hear that you like the show, and I hope you continue to listen. And remember, our motto is tell 200 of your closest friends about Linux and the Ham Shack. It's the only way we get out there is word of mouth. So thanks very much. You bet. Thank you, Jason. All right. Uh, next one we've got a, a comment on the website. It's from Callig, and I don't see a call sign, but it asks if the new logo for LHS contest is going to reopen. I'm interested in applying, but may I ask why it was canceled? Oh, well, tell them why you canceled it, Russ. The reason I canceled the contest is pretty simple. We didn't get a single entry for the contest, so... It wasn't much of a stretch to figure out why we why to cancel it. Well, if no one's going to provide us with a logo, we're not going to have a contest. I mean, clearly someone doesn't want that $100 that much. And as it happens, I went ahead and reached into my pocket, dug down deep, 
found a considerable amount of cash and paid somebody that I trust to create a logo for us. Now, it's my understanding that Richard actually hates our new logo. Is that true? No, I don't hate the logo. I never said that. Oh, I was told you were not impressed. I don't know who said that. Well, I'm going to keep that person confidential, but I just wanted to make sure. I never said that. All right. Did you wish it had gone in some other direction, or what? You know, what's the story? No, I miss the old logo. The old logo was half of a screenshot of an Ubuntu desktop. It was the worst thing ever. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> but anyway, no, I've already paid good, hard cash money for a new logo, and that's what's up on the website. It's what we're using for all our business cards, for all our promotional activities for all our things that require a logo and no the lhs logo contest is not going to reopen so sorry about that i do apologize if you want to provide some artwork for the show i might be able to you know guide you in a different direction we need some logo artwork for some other things you know we might be able to use your services if that's something you're interested in so Email us at info at lhspodcast.info if that's what you're interested in. But as far as the logo con- you know, contest is concerned, nope, that's over. Over and done. Over and out. Roger, 10-4. Wilco, we're out. So if you well, if you don't have anything to say about Callie's thing, I'm going to read the last one, and then we're going to get the hell out of here. So what do you think? Actually, where Callie's concerned, yes, Callie, get in touch with us because uh, there are some, some things that we may need some uh, – graphic work done for and uh we will be looking for people to help us out with that so yeah get in touch with, touch with russ get in touch with me get in touch with all of us hell send bill a letter uh hallmark card or something so last but not least tell us what our longtime listener tim had to say okay i'll do that but just before i do that i want to let you know that remember when we were telling everybody to send hate mail to k 9 wka at lhspodcast.info and that email address didn't work. Well, guess what? It works now. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, Bill, look out. <laughs> you might be getting an email from Callie anytime. <laughs> All right. Well, here's our last bit of feedback before we wrap up for the evening. Oh, and by the way, I should let everybody know that in the chat room, we have had several people in there. And right now, we've got Jonas R., we've got Bill. We've got KD5VQD, KE5WMA, which may or may not be a new person. I don't recall that call sign in the past. He's been here before. Okay, we've got Night Owler, we've got Rostaman, we've got a Ustreamer, and we've got Ted, WA0EIR. And I saw that KB3CDA was in there and then out, so I don't know if he's coming back or not. I know that KB7, oh, what is it now, Azimuth anyway, KB7CLD, something like that. CFD. CFD, that's it. KB7CFD, I know he's listening. We want to thank everybody who stopped by the Ustream tonight or is listening on the live feed. And by the way, for anybody who's interested in the live feed, it's at stream.lhspodcast.info colon 8008-lhslive.m3u. You can listen to that on any application that will play streaming network media. It's an MP3 stream, which is probably making Azimuth scream his head off right now. But anyway, if you're not interested in listening to the Ustream feed or seeing the video, or you are in a particularly low bandwidth situation, 
you can go ahead and listen to the stream that way. Thank you, everybody, for stopping by the chat room tonight. It is good to hear you. And right now I'm going to read a feedback, a piece of feedback that I just got recently from one of our longest-term listeners, Tim, KI6BGE, and he posted this comment on the website. And it says, Hi, Russ. I loaded Linux Mint 9 LDE on an IBM T21. I previously had SUSE loaded on it, and both my PCMCIA cards for wired and wireless LAN were detected and worked okay. The wired card is a Linksys, and the wireless is an off-brand, but both have worked in the same machine with the other versions of Linux. I don't put the cards in at the same time, but I like to switch between them depending on whether I'm at home or on the road. With Mint, neither card shows up. Can you point me in the right direction? I've used Ubuntu, SUSE, Red Hat, a couple of others, and never had a problem with auto-detection. I loaded the LDE version because the standard version just kept hanging while trying to install. The LDE version was up and running within 15 minutes. I have checked the Linux Mint website, but nothing really seems to help. Also, how do I sign on to this site? Okay, so that's how he ends that comment. So my first question is, I have no idea what site you're talking about. I assume you're talking about the Linux Mint website. So the answer to how you log in there is, I have no idea. And as far as detecting the wireless or the wired cards that you have in your laptop, your T21, using Linux Mint, I would think that if Ubuntu detects them, that that Mint would too. You're using Linux Mint 9, which, if I'm not mistaken, is based on Ubuntu Lynx, Lucid Lynx, which says to me that if Ubuntu 10.04 is finding these cards just fine, then Linux Mint 9 should as well. If they're not, or if it's not, I should say, I don't have an answer for that. Let me let me just take a quick browse in uh, Google here for Linux and the IBM T21. Maybe there's some kind of goofy T21 thing that. But like I said, I mean, uh, you know, Linux Mint 9, except for a few cosmetic changes, and their software center is basically Ubuntu 10.04. So if one works, the other sure should. Um, you know. Sure, 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 sure. Are you making fun of me? I just, oh, no, I'm making fun of myself. Do do you concur with that assessment? About what? <laughs> About what? All right, folks, I'm headed down to Dallas, so I'll be back in a little while. <laughs> All right, no, do you concur with the assessment that if Ubuntu 10.04 sees those devices that Tim specifies that uh, Linux Mint 9 should also? If Ubuntu 10.04 does, it should. Now, what t- what we're not taking into account is that he's running LDE, Linux Mint 9 LDE, which I'm sure is a stripped-down version of Linux Mint. Well, are you really sure of that? Do you know what LDE means? I'm sure it has something to do with uh, LDE. So am I. But what does LDE mean? If it has something to do with the graphical interface that's used, that should make no difference whatsoever, because I guarantee you that the kernel that's used in both distributions is exactly the same. And the kernel is where the drivers reside, 
which is where it powers up all of the hardware. Except so, in ca- except in the case of when they try to make a, a distribution smaller, which is probably what this is a case of, they tend to strip a lot of the drivers to help save space. Well, that's true. They can they can strip drivers out of the main kernel. Oh, well, okay. Here, that actually brings up a fantastic point. If you have had this, okay, I'm, I'm addressing Tim now specifically. Tim, if you have had this distribution running under SUSE, or let's let's go with Ubuntu, just because that's the easiest way to do this. If you if you get this laptop working under Ubuntu, what you should do is install Ubuntu, get it powered up. Okay, once it's powered up and every and all of the devices are working, do an LS mod, LS mod, and make note of all of the device drivers that are loaded into the kernel, okay? Because one of those device drivers is going to be for your wired network card because it's working, and one of those device drivers is going to be for your wireless network card because it's working. Now, all of those device drivers are going to be in the Linux Mint kernel as well, but whether or not they get loaded because... They may or may not have been built as modules, could be different. So if you get a list of all of the modules that are loaded into your kernel running under Ubuntu, and then go and install Linux Mint on your machine, Linux Mint 9 LDE, and make a note of which modules are not loaded into that kernel, you'll be able to tell which ones you need to either load or build from that kernel to get your devices to work. Because whichever ones are missing are clearly the ones that power those devices. So I would try that, see what differences there are. If there are no differences, then I have no I have nothing to say. Because yeah, I mean clearly if they work on one they should work on the other. But this is a way to test which ones you need. You know, because the 2.6 Linux kernel is modular and each device driver is built as a module by default, you know, whichever ones are missing out of your Linux Mint install, you know, it's not going to be all of them, but there's going to be at least two of them that are needed for your devices. Whichever two those are, you may be able to mod probe them, M-O-D-P-R-O-B-E, name of the module, that should bring up your device. And if it doesn't, it means those modules haven't been built and you have to recompile your kernel. Now, that's going to be a serious pain in the ass if you have to wind up doing that. And if that's, in fact, the case, you're either going to have to take some time and deal with it or you're just going to not run Linux Mint, pretty much the way it's going to work on that. Uh, it's something to try anyway. Bill said something in the chat room about he may mean KD instead of uh, LD. But I'm sure in the case of Tim, he's trying to get an older machine to run. In that case, he's probably talking about LXDE uh, release of uh, Linux Mint. It's really stripped down. It'll run on 192 megs of system memory and 3 gigs of, uh, of hard drive. Number one, he's using some fairly old cards. Just about anything that'll still stick in a card slot on the side of a computer is probably pretty old. I've got... Uh, Got a Linksys uh, wireless adapter over here that's like that. 
it still acknowledges that. But the wireless adapter he's using, he says, is a uh, generic uh, jobby of some sort. What he was talking about, one of them was generic, one of them was a low-end card of some sort. Links this, and the wireless is off-brand. And this might be part of his problem, too. As far as Linksys, I'm not sure why it wouldn't be running, unless, of course, there's uh, the driver's just not there. Tim, go back, take a look at what you've got, go over to the Mint forums and the Ubuntu forums, and pose these questions there. Uh, somebody ought to have a workaround or be able to help get this stuff going. I know I've been working with this old machine over here and ended up with Crunchbang Linux on it. I'm not familiar with the T20, T21 IBM, but uh, from looking at what's on that particular uh, version of Linux Mint, I would assume you're trying to get an older, slower machine running. So, and I mean, you know my email addresses. You know how to get a hold of me. You know how to get a hold of Russ. Try that and then get back with us and we'll see if we can't work through it. Now, I've had hardware go uh, obsolete when, I, when I've done an Ubuntu install. I've had that happen. That might be part of what's going on with these, wireless, with these uh, network cards you're trying to use. And as far as the webcast site's concerned, it's probably not going to benefit you to log on anyway because unless you have access to the back end, you're going to see everything you not logged in that you would see if you were logged in. So uh, don't sweat it, buddy. I'm taking a quick look at the specs on an IBM T21. Uh-huh. The average speed of the processor is a Pentium 3, 866, 14-inch screen, typical 128 megs of RAM, and hard drive between 13 and 20 gigabytes. So this is definitely an older machine that he's trying to get working on here, and my guess is that he is attempting to use the LXDE, you know, piece of software uh, for Linux Mint. And there may be some modules that are not built into that kernel. But the thing about modular kernels is all of the modules should already be built. They're just not necessarily loaded into the kernel. So like I said, it may be a case of just figuring out which ones aren't loaded and doing a mod probe on them or going into slash Etsy slash modules and putting those modules in the kernel configuration so they load at boot time. Ted's Ted's saying he's running Mint 9 on Dell Latitude. It's apparently got a little more oomph to it than the one I've got because there ain't no way this one I've got to run Linux Mint 9. Oh, but, the one uh, the one yeah. I have would I've got a Dell Latitude D six twenty and that thing will run anything. Well, mine's old and it's tired, just like you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It needs parts. Just like I do. It, need, it needs a lot of help. Yep. It's going to get it. Get it. <laughs> All right, are we done badgering Tim? Can we get on out of here? Tim's a good guy, man. You know, Tim been around. He he was around at uh, resonant frequency before we ever started this one. Tim is a great guy. KI6BGE, everybody bow to Tim, say hello, wave. He's a good guy. Thanks, thanks, Tim, for your email, and hopefully my advice will help you out a little bit. I don't know how much time you have to spend installing distributions on your old T21, but <laughs> uh, give it a shot, see what happens. Crunch buying Linux, booger. <laughs> They're all based on Debian, my friend. I mean, it's either going to work or it isn't. So, 
Yeah, but it's that crunch bang light. Let me tell you, I stuck it on thumb drive and went. I've rescued three Windows machines with that distribution already. Anyway, it's about time to wrap up. Thanks to everybody who sent in their feedback. And of course, uh, K, uh, whatever it was, K4WZE or the one we skipped over, we will definitely get to you next time. So, uh, but thanks for everybody who sent in comments and please go ahead and send in your comments for future episodes. We will get to them as soon as we possible can. As soon as we possibly can. But right now, yeah, possible can. Southeast Linux test. Yep. Southeast Linux effort. Anyway, right. But we're going to get on out of here because we have been recording for one hell of a long time. So, Richard, go ahead and start us on our way out. Well, you know, you're not going to get that fast-paced, everything else. Let's just do it this way. If if you have a favorite social network, go over and type in KB5JBV. And if I don't pop up, send me an email. I'm high. I may not post over there, but I'll go sign up. Or you can uh, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, or Identica. Or send me an email at kb5jbv at gmail.com. kb5jbv at gmail.com. Or just uh, post something over to the website so we can uh, we know what's going on with you. And uh, let me throw it back over to Russ, and he can give you all his information because he can probably say uh, 73s.org and social networks and all that stuff way better than I can right now. Take it away, Russ. Okay. You can find me on all the major social networks out there on the Internet as J.R. Woodman. I happen to be K5TUX at 73s.org. Make sure to send us comments over at the website, lhspodcast.info. We want to hear from you. Send Richard and I email at info at lhspodcast.info. We want to hear from you that way as well. And make sure to let us know how you feel about us potentially switching to an all aug based feed. I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of negative comments about that. But anyway, you know, go ahead and let us know how you feel. I already wrote mine. You already wrote yours? Well, I'll check it out here in a minute. Uh, you can call us and leave us a voicemail, and we'll get your audio commentary onto the website as well. And one of these days, or not onto the website, but into the podcast as well. And one of these days, Bill will catch up and realize that the phone number has changed, so he won't keep sending the old information to the show notes. Are you listening to me, Bill? <laughs> he does that about the music over on the other one, but I, I don't want to tell him. I don't want to do the yeah, I don't want to hurt his feelings either. I'm not picking on you, Bill. I'm just telling you. Anyway, our phone numbers are 888-455-0305, and that's toll-free in the U.S. and Canada, or you can call plus one four one seven two hundred four eight one one. Leave us a voicemail, and we will answer your question, unless you tell us not to do it on the air, in which case we won't. So that's about it for Linux in the Ham Shack, episode number 43. Thanks, everybody, who was in the chat room. Thank you for stopping by in the audio feed, for giving us all kinds of good feedback, for being great listeners to the show. We love and appreciate all of you. So from up here in Studio 1N, far north in the pine forest between the peaks of north-central Arkansas, I am Russ, K5TUX. Russ said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and barely alive in Baltimore, Texas. This is KB5JBB. We'll see you next time. <laughs>